Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Point Podcast. As always, I'm joined by Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitchell & Whale, Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance, and Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. Our special guest today is Taylor Rhodes, uh, relatively newly appointed CEO of Applied. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me. So can you give us a quick bio and maybe uh, even tell us why you joined Applied in the first place? Yeah. Well, Tom, a little, just very quick bio. I am unashamedly not an insurance guy. Um, I have no experience in the brokerage or the insurer side. Out of university, I went into the Marine Corps for five years. I was an infantry officer in the Marine Corps and got to see the world. And that was a great experience. But um, after a bit of time, it was time to learn how to read and write. So I went back to school and uh, got a business uh, MBA. And, uh, and then I got kind of fell in love with the tech bug a little bit. And I went into technology over 20 years ago. Um, most of my career to date uh, was spent as an early stage guy at a cloud computing company called Rackspace. Uh, and we were one of the first true cloud companies out there. And um, if you go back and did a Google search on cloud back in 2007, 8, and 9, it was Rackspace and this little company called Amazon. And, um, and we really helped change the old clunky, what I called the old CIO lock-in model in technology where it was capital intensive, took a long time to deploy, and you were locked in once you deployed it. The most fun I had in that time was really democratizing access to technology. Uh, and we saw so many business models change and such an explosion of growth and productivity in the world as cloud matured. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I left Rackspace and went into technology within the real estate facilities management space. Very sexy. Uh, you know, when a toilet breaks in a building, what happens when the heating breaks, et cetera. And when the applied opportunity came along, frankly, guys, I had not thought about insurance other than when it came time to renew my annual you know, policy on my auto. Um, but as I got to understand the industry, it became kind of this exciting, what I call a very undigitized playground, right? This is an industry that is a laggard, no offense to anybody in it. And so here I sit as this optimistically, and I hope not naive person who I think my background can help bring pragmatic technology value to the, to the industry. And that's what I hope to do. We're almost so far behind. It looks like we're in first place at times. <laughs> Not a good thing. Let's get to know the real Taylor here. So uh, got a few speed round questions for you. Yeah. So Taylor, and they are definitely slanted towards Canada. So you'll have to, uh, have to uh, channel your inner Canuck there. But um, <laughs> what is your favorite Canadian band of all time? You know, I'm a, I'm a classic rock guy. So it's got to be, it's got to be Rush. And it's got to nice. be Rush hands oh. down. Right? Hallelujah. Oh my God. First person, Tom, Tom's favorite band. Your first person that has had Rush ever. Last, so. last person too. All right. I like you already, Taylor. Uh, Taylor, which, uh, which beer you got going there? Okay. So I was hunting for a beer called, uh, what was it called? Stay the Blazes Home, which is an IPA from you know, Steve's Neck of the Woods from one of his customers. Can't find it in Chicago. But I did find this little little gem here, which is La Fin du Monde. Little. little. It's a 9%er, so I'm not going to try to guzzle this whole thing on this, uh, this, this, month, this podcast here. You notice that the percentage is a lot higher in Canadian beers and American beers, so it's good to see you jumping I in. So. I admire you guys and your drinking capability. <laughs> well, with our, our technology is so far behind, we have to do something, so we need a higher beer, right? So, um, yeah. Hey, what was your uh, high school nickname? Oh gosh, this is a this is a family friendly program, Steve. So I can't share that. <laughs> <laughs> Just give us give us words it rhymes with. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've fallen for that. Okay, okay, okay. Favorite and least favorite part of the industry so far. I think favorite is um, when I came in as a brand new guy. Everybody was super welcoming. It's a very relational business, and people are very friendly and eager to help. 
my least favorite is, um, man, it's slow to change. <laughs> and and, and uh, there's kind of this chicken and egg problem, right? The insurers say, I don't know if I want to spend it if the brokers aren't adopting brokers. I don't know, and the insurers, and so you, anyway, that's frustrating. Do you know, uh, this may be an unfair question to uh, Texan-born Chicagoan, but do you know how to say seal in French? This is a dangerous answer, but I believe, now if you're talking about the little furry animal, because it could also be, you know, the, the seal of a, a signet ring or to close something out. But I'm assuming when I did my homework on this one, you mean folk. <laughs> close, close. We'll, we'll, we'll allow that one. How many, uh, now we're sort of the COVID related question. How many Netflix series have you watched since March? I couldn't tell you how many, but I can tell you the first one I watched, which probably is what 90% of the rest of the world watched, was The Tiger King at the very beginning of the pandemic. And I believe it subtracted a collective 10 points of IQ from the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Taylor, what, uh, Epic is now your flagship product amongst a number, a variety of other products that Applied has. What aspect of Epic are you most proud of? Look, Epic is a very, very complex and feature-rich piece of software. It has um, so many different elements to it that are about the life cycle of a broker's business, not just for inside the four walls of the brokerage, but connectivity over to the insured and connectivity up to the insurer. Um, so I think I'm proud that it is the leading by far BMS uh, in the world. It is used by literally over 150,000 people in North America every single day. Um, but, you know, we're also very open to the fact that, that Epic was designed and built in an era of closed systems. And, and so, you know, we've got a, a big focus and a big investment journey ahead of us on what we call Epic Transformation. And I'm happy to share more as we get into the conversation here. But, you know, we sort of try to be students of the big trends that are happening in the industry. And we take those trends and then superimpose them on Epic today the goods, the bads, and the uglies. And then, you know, we've got a, a point of view on what Epic needs to change into in the future to, you know, be the leading BMS franchise for the next decade. Um, so proud of what it is, but also, frankly, you know, new guy to insurance with a tech background. I'm the change agent that has to make sure Epic becomes what it needs to become. How fast are you going to move that? Because it's a little slow right now. Well, yeah, Steve. So we started it. Now, remember, I joined 18 months ago, right? And I didn't yep. bring didn't bring my magic wand with me. But uh, once I learned where the bathroom was and kind of got to understand the end market a little bit, you know, the first thing we started doing was hiring some talent into our team. So we hired a guy named Rich Belanger, who's our head of software development. Rich comes from outside the industry as well, but frankly comes from a background of taking large, closed, kind of pre-cloud architectures and opening them up, bringing them into a cloud-native architecture. Rich started in February. So we really started Epic Transformation in May, June of this last year. Um, and I, I'm happy to talk a lot of detail about what Epic Transformation is, but the key guiding principles are openness, velocity, and user experience, and then coupled with digital connectivity. Um, and so we are now into month, call it eight-ish, of Epic Transformation. Our board has funded a very large budget for it this year and over the next three years. So it'll take us some time, but we will deliver, um, you know, open APIs into the market this year. We'll deliver uh, a, a Google-based um, data and analytics solution that is far superior to our current, you know, bulk data extract capability. You know, we'll deliver Epic Browser into the market this year, which is, again, just retiring tech debt that lets us go faster. We'll deliver um, some connectivity this year that is different than what we've done in the past. So lots going on there, Steve, but it will be a multi-year journey for us. But our focus this year is delivering some real proof points into the market. How, how much of, of this 
roadmap that I, I saw um, when he presented the CSIO board. I like what I saw, but how much of that is Taylor and how much of that was already planned? How much of that is yours? Uh, look, not mine, teams. And I mean that sincerely, not trying to be falsely modest, but look, it's my job to come in into any new company. You, you either, as a new CEO, you're coming into either a dumpster fire, right? Or you're coming into something that's successful that needs to contemplate what it needs to change into for the future and applies the latter. Um, so my job was to come in and sort of ask all the hard questions. Why is it that we still ask our customers to interact with Epic as if Epic is their whole stack, as if Epic doesn't need APIs to be able to interact with platforms like Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics or you name it? Um, why is it that it's very difficult when you read our customers' feedback for them to gain access to their data and make use of their data on their own, et cetera? So I set about doing a listening tour, talking to a lot of prospects, customers, and sure techs. Um, we ended up buying a couple of the insure techs that I was asking advice from to help us accelerate. So a lot of this, I would say, it, what, the team had a strong sense that Epic needed to change for the next decade, but I don't think that the intentionality of the mission was fully ignited until you know, new guys showed up. And that was you know, sort of my mandate, Steve. The investment from Google, I'm sure that kind of fast-tracked on the mindset. Uh, are you a big believer in pushing the open standards then? You want to bolt as much stuff onto it? And uh, basically, you know, you mentioned the analytics platform. Is a Google Analytics going to replace your analytics module currently in Epic at this well, point? First of all, yes. I believe that we should have Epic evolve into a very standard cloud native architecture, right? You get no points anymore for rolling your own in terms of what your front end and back end and API. So we've chosen Google Cloud not only because Google made the investment, but I actually think that Google Cloud has developed better data and analytics capabilities than AWS or Azure. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the front end React and, you know, open APIs built on Google Apigee, being able to pull data out of Epic and run it in Google BigQuery so that our customers via API access can easily gain access back and forth to their data. And again, I think we have an opportunity to develop products around data and analytics for our customers because we see a breadth and depth of things that can be anonymized and trended and useful for benchmarking, et cetera. But also open APIs are about choice. So if you don't want to buy an analytics product from us, you should have access to your data to use, again, Dynamics or whatever else you're using in-house. And today, if you look at the pain points we get back from our customers, it's, geez, it is so freaking hard for me to make use of my data. Um, you know, a lot of it's stuck in forms in Epic. A lot of it is BDE download. Then I got to hire people to manage those integrations and I got to hire my own data staff. So um, these are the types of things that we hear loud and clear. Question I had quickly in the Salesforce integration. Is it bi-directional? Can data move both directions in that? Or is it just Salesforce into Epic? Or can you bring Epic back into Salesforce? Are you able to enable that, the bi-directional? You, you can do bi-directional. So the goal is you want the front office to be able to see everything that the back office sees and the back office to be able to be updated on the changes the front office make. The Salesforce integration is based on a tech canary acquisition. And so it's really Salesforce for the way a front office of a brokerage needs with the out of the box workflows, the ability to be configurable, some of the analytics that Salesforce enables there. A lot of our brokers have two mission critical systems that in the past couldn't talk to each other, the Salesforce platform and the Epic platform. So now those two things can be bi-directionally coherent with each other. I get that you want to open up the capability to doing it, but it's really expensive to get something else to talk to you. A lot of the animosity about applied is the cost to value, you know, almost annual increases. 
Epic checks all the boxes, but does it do anything really well? Now, sometimes we have to go get something else. So, but I can't afford to make it integrate. So, you know. The theory of having open APIs that are wrapped around all of our products is so that you have choice. Epic started out down market. It was a suite of products. And there was a point in time when brokers of that size wanted best of suite. But as we've grown up market to serve more of the medium and large and digital brokers, we know we're not going to be the whole tech stack, right? We're going to be an element of the tech stack. And so, but I do want to make sure that you all have choice and capability. Now, if we build it all and sink a lot of money into it and maintain it and do things like invest in cybersecurity around it, et cetera, we'll charge you something above some volume for API calls, but you should have choice for what you want to use. And that's the premise behind it. The annual price increase I know is a bugboo in the market, but I will say I'm, I'm here to, I will try to defend that um, because we spend tens of millions of dollars a year on R&D in investing in feature breadth, capability, security, connectivity, you name it. And I think where we have to get better, we develop a lot of really good stuff, but it doesn't mean people know what we're developing and it doesn't mean they know how to use it well. The principle of customer success is don't just go build a product and throw it over the fence. Build a product and teach your customers how to use it and teach them how to get world-class results out of it so that they show up and say, I'm glad I bought that. I got the value out of it. And so I think we have a lot of work to do to partner up with our brokers to help them understand what's available to them within Epic and use it according to best practices. I think that brokers really have a fear. Okay, if I want to learn, I'm going to now get sold a training package. Like I have to pay. Every time I pick up the phone, it's like, yeah. uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to pay or I'm going to get sold something well, here. I, I agree. Look, we can't put a paywall in front of everybody on everything. Yeah. And, and, and so, for instance, this year, we launched two new products that we're really proud of. One is Epic for Salesforce and the other is Applied Marketing Automation. And we launched them with customer success teams around them at no additional charge, right? Just to, again, learn how to do digital marketing campaigns. What results should you expect? You know, how do you make best use of content? How, how and when do you market to a prospect, et cetera? Applied does tend to charge for a lot of stuff. Um, and so feedback taken and, and just know we're putting some things in the market this year to try to learn about that. The one thing I struggle with is I have to buy the rights to certain licenses, then pay a fee on top of that. Uh, so if I want to, for instance, add a policy works onto my system, I got to buy the rights to the licenses, then I pay a monthly fee. I just, I, I'm not sure if that's some thinking or some pricing that's going to be reviewed in the future, but it's really I, all my other vendors I deal with. And we have about 30 or 40 different people in our, our, our MarTech or our technology stock right now at our office. We don't have to do that. We don't have to pay that upfront fee. Is that something that's going to maybe change in the future? Or? In fact, Trevor Bunker and I, our chief customer officer, were just talking about this issue this morning. He's got a strong point of view on it. So in the works is our sort of re-examination of how we should charge, what we should charge or not. Um, so consider that one on the table because I get a lot of flack for that one. About a third of your broker slash agency customers have adopted a customer self-serve portal. About a quarter of them have adopted a mobile app. Now that number is up from last year. But why? Did, from your experience at other industries, why do you think brokers at large are so slow to adopt these customer-facing technologies? Frankly, guys, the UX, the user experience in this industry isn't set by us. It's set by big tech, right? It's set by my experience on Instagram or Robinhood or Plaid or you know whatever app I'm using, Uber, et cetera. And I can't kind of, I like to say, you can't unsee that when you come back to your broker. 
And so why is it the way it is today? Because I think you could get away with it. But I think now venture capital, private equity, lots of smart people have found this space and consumers aren't going to stand for that stuff anymore. And so I think 2020 is a digital focusing point, right? Crisis is catalyst. But I'm seeing lots of evidence, at least in the medium and larger brokers, that they're trying to you know, figure out how to take big steps forward there. Is there any shift on the uh, the uh, mobile the the applied mobile uh, over the next year to two years? Just kind of my big thing is where's the beef? Uh, you know the functionality has been kind of slow coming. I'm seeing more happening now, but is there going to be a rebuild on the portal version to kind of modernize the look and feel? And is there going to be some more functionality? Is there going to be some beefing up of the mobile solution or any re, any major rework of it? So so we'll start with Epic and Epic transformation because until we open Epic up and get it API enabled, which by the way, the APIs will be the same APIs that our product teams use to interact with Epic as well. So we will stage CSR24 in the mobile to be fast follows onto the Epic cloud native architecture, because otherwise it's just sort of toiling with minimal diminishing returns. But yes, absolutely. And we'll also take advantage, um, Jeff, of some capabilities that we acquired. You know, we acquired Indio recently. Indio has some great customer facing UX and capabilities to digitally create interactions. And so we've got some leverageable technology to play it with there as well. My question was going to play off one of your the last points of, hey, we bought Indio. It's got some great UX. And um, it's sisters, in my mind, next to uh, another acquisition of PolicyWorks. And uh, so what's, what's some of the vision and plan for, for what you think and the team for building those two out and getting the best out of them? Well, we're, we are um, emphasizing PolicyWorks in Canada because of its innate capabilities of connectivity for commercial lines into the insurers, right? So you'll see our commercial line strategy in Canada really leveraging a beefed up and a remade policy works. And, and look, I think I've watched some of your podcasts, so I know you guys are really fixated on the essentialness of connectivity in this industry. And I, I believe connectivity is one of our you know, biggest opportunities. I mean, all of us are probably using Wi-Fi today to some, can you imagine if we were living back when there were competing Wi-Fi standards before the telecom industry decided stop competing on that shit, pardon my French, and agree to a standard so that we can stop trying to make money off of connectivity. We need to be able to do the things that each of us does better and let's stop playing with connectivity. And here we sit in this industry where we can't even agree, you know, Tom, I know you're, you're hurting the cats on IVAC DX and, you know, we can't agree on connectivity standards and data model standards, et cetera. And every other industry, if I wanted to right now, I could send you an electronic money transfer. Why? Because the financial services industry has agreed on standards for how to do those things. So um, Adam, I think that, you know, bottom line is we will leverage uh, in the U.S., it's a combination of Indio and Ivans. In Canada, it's going to be um, Epic plus PolicyWorks. And what we're really focused on in commercial lines is being able to take the commercial lines application or renewal, simplify and digitize that part of the process, and then use PolicyWorks for connectivity into the insurer systems um, so that you kind of cut that cycle time, you cut that inefficiency, We've also invested heavily in a product called Market Appetite, right, which is all about letting you see what the carriers that you partner with really want so that you have a higher probability of getting a quote back on the things you're working hard on. So that's how we'll leverage PolicyWorks in Canada. Is there any way to map the Indio stuff out to, say, our website to make it client-facing? Indio is a few things. One, it simplifies the forms process dramatically. The second is it is the agent's workflow tool. And then it is customer-facing. That is the portal that the customer, the insured actually works in. So 
at the time of renewal, um, you send them a, an email or, or an alert uh, on their smartphone. They say, hey, within 30 days, we need this, et cetera. They log straight into Indio seamlessly, um, and that's where they work. And what the agent is able to do is to minimize the amount of information you have to collect again uh, from an insured, and it works in a very simple format. It has data autofill as you're going, uh, and then that data is captured directly back to the agent so that you sort of get back of all that back and forth in phone calls and print this out, and et cetera, et cetera. So it is, in fact, client-facing. Yeah, back, no, yeah, yeah. back, back to the agent or back to the, into the BMS? So it, it is integrated with Epic, and so you will have it both um, in Indio as well as in Epic. And then the next step that we have launched in, in a kind of a pilot phase with Travelers and Hanover and a few others here in the, in the States is the digital submission into the carrier system. So today, if you're in Indio, you have integration with Epic. You also can print, you can hit send to carrier. And if it's one of our digitally enabled carriers, it will go via API into the carrier system. If it's not a digitally enabled carrier, it will put it into a nice clean PDF and it will send it straight to the carrier. And most carriers, as you know, are investing in, in things like, uh, you know, being able to read digital documents. And so, you know, um, you know, carriers are all over the map. Some want an API, some want a catcher's mitt, some want a document that they can scrape. Uh, but you can get it to the carrier, you know, straight out of Epic, straight out of India. Does, does broker connectivity in Canada, you know, and DX in specific, does, does that get talked about at your executive circle? Like, how, how seriously do you take some of these, these initiatives? We believe, again, back to that Wi-Fi example, we need to get out of the business of systems that don't talk and data standards that don't work. People have to be, I mean, isn't insurance in the end all about everybody needing the same core set of data? You know, for us, we've got a couple of assets that are very important that I think give us an opportunity and a leg up to go work with brokers and carriers to solve the connectivity issue. But it is a fool's errand if Applied tries to do it on our own. I, I think my, one of the things I'm most passionate about is convincing a set of carriers and, and some of their top broker trading partners to say, we are going to work together and agree that this is a top priority and we are going to go figure out how to do commerce together in an entirely digital way for these sets of initial lines and prove that it works. And, you know, in the U S we've got an opportunity with Ivan's, which is a huge asset in the U S and in Canada, because of our market share, we're hoping that we can work with, with IBAC and IBAO and CSIO and others to be able to say, why aren't we all don't go try to solve world hunger, but there's gotta be a set of large brokers who are tired of this and a set of large carriers who are willing to team up on this. But again, this is where I may be naive on the forces that work in the industry that have stopped that from happening in the past. We've just gotten approved a roadmap that I worked with a few um, sort of industry bodies to create. The point of that is to share it so you know what that broker voice is and what that broker priority set is. There's been a number of industry efforts that have failed in the past and for a variety of reasons, one of which I think is you know, sort of the uh, boil the ocean approach. Uh, so under the DX banner, uh, we're working on an initiative called the DX Connect Alliance. So I've lined up six, hopefully seven carriers who will all be working on a, the same slate of APIs that will then be shared with the vendors. And you know, they've committed to working with the vendors for implementation, testing, rollout, that kind of thing. So, so, it, so it is not all carriers. It is not all potential APIs, and the user group will not will not be all brokers. It will be yeah. a hand-picked set of brokers so that we can actually, you know, demonstrate real benefit instead of just throwing it to everybody and see what shit sticks on the wall. 
So it sounds like you know your your thought process and ours are quite closely aligned. Yeah, I think I think in any big complex problem, you've got to break the complexity down into something addressable to to build the army of the willing, right? So it sounds like the approach is let's not tr- try to solve everything for every line and every place. Let's pick a spot. Ironically, the original name which I came up with for the for the group was the Coalition of the Willing. Yeah. And yeah. some folks thought the acronym of cow myself was freaking hilarious. Uh, and this, I thought it was good. I was a big supporter of the sacred cow. <laughs> <I was honest laughs> some people didn't like, some people didn't like cows. So we came up with the DX connect Alliance cause that's much more professional. <laughs> One of your APIs we currently consume is, is the Fortis API. Is, like, does that change in the roadmap or something that you, you know about? I wouldn't replace it right away. Over time though, we do want to have a very consistent approach across all of our environments. So, you know, you have to be pragmatic on these things too, Adam, as you know, it's just like the same conversation, Tom, is when you have a surface that's as big as Epic and then you get into ARS and you get into CSR24, et cetera, my job is to help us pick our shots that are the most leverage, high leverage things first. And then you start to expand out from the center. So I don't know the state of the Fortis API, you could tell me, but I would say unless it's a screaming dumpster fire, um, it probably won't be the first on the list. But over time, you'll see a very uniform approach to using Google Apache as the API architecture. The Fortis API might be a burning dumpster fire, but it's got a very small crowd around it. So that's not your current leverage shot. Uh, you know, not that, could... that many children, right? So we right, gotta... <laughs> right. That's <laughs> your point though. Hey, loyal listeners, when you hear me say CAS certified, that means that we use them in our agency. Are you a local insurance agent looking to take your business to the next level? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS, aka Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. But like in today's world, we use these initials like it's cool because it is. It's hip. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they offer the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing market. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and the guidance you need to see your agency succeed. Nationwide Brokered Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry? Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at mbsbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more, mbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. Your, Your turn, Steve. I forget what I was going to say now. What? You guys a question? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I always look for feedback on what I think I'm perceiving in the industry. And I think that, that the, the, the VC and private equity money has found the industry, which is upping the game on expectation for return. And so therefore expectation on applying technology to juice the returns that these investment dollars are getting is creating quite a head spin for a lot of brokers, right? You know, you've got technology vendors coming at you left and right, that you got to get to the cloud, et cetera, et cetera. So this whole notion of kind of rapid technology change here has found the industry and brokers need help to decide what to adopt and who to work with and what's my best bet to move. Would you guys agree that the industry as a whole has been found, discovered, and the heat lamp is on in terms of being able to apply, you know, digitization to, to leverage returns? 
I would agree with the core concept, but from a bit of a different cause, at least in my small business perspective. Um, I think I'm working hard to try and future-proof ourselves. We're trying to be ready for what's coming. And um, I think one of the things that might come uh, that doesn't get talked about loudly a lot is uh, the margin will get squeezed, right? And the the fairness to consumer and, and the, the commissions that get paid to agents and brokers and pieces, you could, so there's no VC that owns us to put the pressure on it, but I'm sure trying to get as efficient as possible so we could sustain into one of these nuclear bombs coming down the road. Like we need to remove steps. We are the, the most discombobulated insofar as financial industries go. We're, we're, we're a shit show. Like Adam said, if those margins are getting crunched, I can't afford my margins to get crunched right yeah. now because I've got 20 things to do on one transaction. I need them to be two. Steve points out, we're in a battle against friction. You know, every step we can reduce, every keystroke we can reduce, every time we can stop a human having to handle stuff yeah. and maybe put the human onto an H to H touch where they're dealing with the consumer. That's the kind of pivot we have to make right now. So our big thing is we have so much data, but most people, it's like a can opener. We're all hungry for data, but we have no can opener. We can't open the can of the food. We're sitting there starving because we can't tap into that data. And that's where the venture capitals are going to bet on those brokers that can continue to figure it out and evolve and those that don't. The good news is other industries have solved this problem. It's simply figuring out how to structure useless data today. Because let's be honest, a lot of the data you need is stuck in a PDF form somewhere, you know, stuck in a system that hasn't been structured, hasn't been OCR'd, hasn't been turned into useful data. And so you can't wave a magic wand on this one either, but you can start to, to create structured data over time that allows you all to know the things you need to know to make yourselves indispensable to the carriers. And, and I think, Data obsession is absolutely, you know, something you can't have any conversation without addressing. Do you see a way like, you know, the next version of Epic being a version, and again, whether it gets rewritten or not, where people are using the same, the same structured uh, data and it's a lot more similar? You know, you move to more of a case environment where you're analyzing not policies, but cases and get the insights around that, both the structured, which is your forms, your activities, and the unstructured with social media, phone calls, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Do you see a world where that's blended together and then brokers can actually do something intelligent with it? Yeah. So that was one of the reasons I really loved Indio. Indio underneath it is a structured data machine, right? It captures every piece of risk data as a discrete object in a structured manner goes into a data architecture that is very reportable, very analyzable, et cetera. And so, you know, today, like you said, in the, in the old days, the value in Epic was, I want to be able to do what I want to do. And today you find out, well, if everybody enters something differently or makes a typo or uses the field for another thing, good luck, right? And so, you know, the future of data has to be structured, usable data. And again, that's behind also starting to get data out of Epic, putting into Google BigQuery so we can use ML and AI tools to be able to help you make sense and start to structure the data. Talk about a long journey though. I mean, look, you can start to do things differently once we have this capability for go forward things, but a long journey for the insurers as well as the brokers is to take all of the unstructured data in the world today and start down the longest path, which is to start to structure. And that's why you see a lot of VC money going into firms like GroundSpeed and others who are making big investments at scale to go start to tackle, how do I take unstructured useless data and turn it into structured, useful data. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other one is, is obvious, but it's broker consolidation. Um, I think, again, because private equity has found the space, because debt is almost free, 
um, you see this world of the big getting bigger. And, and, and so therefore, you know, so what? Well, bigger getting bigger, which means the role of technology to create scale and consistency and returns is very important. Big getting bigger also means that you're going to see brokers start to have more leverage over time with carriers, right? Um, because they will have, you know, bigger books of business, they'll have bigger presence in the market, et cetera, et cetera. And so this notion of broker consolidation and big getting bigger is important from a technology standpoint, but I think it also shifts some of the ecosystem landscape over time. Um, and I think also, you know, because you can sell your business today, if you're a broker that has a decent book and get such a high return, you'll probably see an acceleration, especially with people with COVID fresh in their minds of selling. So I think the wave of consolidation is going to even pick up from here. Yep. Yeah. Other so ones real yeah. quick are blurring lines, right? Used to be that you had brick and mortar, you know, independent brokers and you had carriers and everybody did what they did. You know, today in the States, Brown and Brown, you know, just, just bought Coverhound, a, a fully digital agency blending with a bricks and mortar agency. Um, you see, you know, another client of ours in the States talked to yesterday has a segment of his business called MGA of the future. And in his MGA business, he's getting both broker and carrier economics. And so I think this blurring of the lines, technology has to enable innovation to help you change your business model and, and get into new parts of the insurance value chain over time as things shift, right? Yep. Yep. Do, you, do you see, do you, do you, sorry, but that, I, that's, I say, do you see brokers, you know, now that we got scale and volume, do we need the companies? Do you see them eventually going directly to a reinsurance and cutting out the company? Is that trending more in the U.S. right now? Or are we on the cusp of that? Like, there's some barriers for us to do that experience and handle claims. But with these APIs opening up, those doors really open up, right? Well, I think, I think however it plays out as the brokers get bigger, technology enables blurring of the lines, business model innovation the name of the game is to keep as much of the profit chain as you can. Right. And so if you could be able to start to build a big MGA business that does a lot of what a traditional carrier is, skip them, go to a, a reinsurer and keep more of the, both the broker economics and the carrier economics, you know, why wouldn't you do that? And then the last one I mentioned earlier, it's just the user experience, Steve, to your point, taking steps out, you know, why are directs doing so well? Why, why was there a big study out recently in the U S that directs did way better than traditional independent agents during COVID it's because they enable that user experience. It's omni-channel, it's simple, it flows. Um, and, and so, you know, I think we're not competing in the insurance industry with other insurance things. We're competing with apps out in the world that set the experience expectation for how you interact with the, with the, with the vendors you work with. So I think a lot of people are extremely nervous about being able to um, have a modern user experience, which, you know, allows them again to keep the value in the value chain versus having customers, you know, say, I don't want to deal with a traditional broker anymore. And I want to go to direct to somebody else. Well, if you well, can find your next girlfriend with Tinder with your thumb, your insurance should be that easy, right? So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who do you feel is responsible for uh, directs uh, taking market share over the last 20 years? Because we have everything going for us. I mean, we are the Amazon. We have choice. Yeah. I love everything that you're saying here. But you have to remember at the same time, as an as a age-old applied customer, I have PTSD, and that's uh, price-sensitive. Uh, What's PTSD stand for? <laughs> yeah. post I think it's post-traumatic stress post syndrome. Yeah. I, have, I, I have price-traumatic stress disorder. Because every time I have a good idea, I have to go, uh what's that going to cost me with applied or, or, or my vendors or whatever. And, and then you sort of back off because it just, it'll create more friction versus being easier, but it's a great idea. I, yeah. I want to put a third hat of blame out there if I can, because I, okay, I, sure. 
The third hat is the industry itself, the brokers. Not everybody's like you guys, right? There has been a lot of status quo. It's a good business. It's a lifestyle business. Yeah. I'm not going to change. In fact, if we're all fair, friction has been a key ingredient in insurance profit margins over time, right? I don't want the customer yeah. All of this. I don't really want to know all the, them to know all the choice they have. I, so yeah. I think we have a changing landscape afoot here that is going to be, it's a kick in the ass from all the big money that's coming in the space, the alternatives that are developing. And frankly, you know, I think the final pressure point is going to be the consumer. Why did Amazon get invented? And why is it done so well? Because consumers love it. And once they experienced Amazon, they, they, they refused to go back to another way that was clunkier, harder, took too long, et cetera. So I think there's a shared set of shit that we all got to own here. Pardon my French again. And, uh, and you know, we can do it. Uh, now, I'm not uh, naive in the sense of how easy or hard it's going to be. This is a multi-year journey for us. But um, I think we've got the right team in place now and the right headset on that says, if we don't make our customers successful, as I think Jeff said earlier, or Adam said it, then Appliance is not going to be successful. We'll be one of those BlackBerry companies that did really well for a while. And then, you know, people are going to find alternatives to it. So that's what keeps me awake at night, folks. But it also excites me. But that, that's one thing. The one thing that applied, though, it's been more, uh, I would say, to use a Star Trek, the Borg. It's been more faceless. It's been kind of this entity. Maybe back when Kellner was there and he's playing around with his trains and he had a bit of personality when it was smaller, but it grew to this big thing when it got changed hands a few times and it lost some identity. You yeah. know, you have a chance to bring that back and yeah. you know, a human face to it. Like Salesforce, at least they have a, a, yeah. a human at the top that, you know, that you like him or don't like him. has right. done some things, but he's identifiable as kind of the face of the brand i think there's a there's space for that for applied because people want people are craving for a human connection with their vendor right now yeah you really need to have a little bit of shock and awe right now to resurrect believers yeah in, in in applied particularly in canada i mean you've got brokers like us where our day-to-day -day is like what does a broker five years from now look like we're working towards that but yet i look at the technology I have, and I'm working with technology from five years ago. One of our brokers, uh, you know, in Newfoundland had a real difficult time getting the auto app updated in a 10, 11 month period, which is generally a core thing like, hey, a government change, that's done quickly. And historically applied updates to the system were done in a strategic time. You know, is that, we're going to start seeing some improvements and then can you, are you more agile? Can you start doing updates on the fly with all your changes you're doing? Can we see them a little bit quicker? Yeah, so you remember three principles, right, guys? Um, openness, velocity, speed, yeah. and user experience. And once you open up and get to cloud-native architecture, where our dev teams can use APIs across the different product sets, we can speed up and do smaller releases of things more quickly. Today, Epic is a very big beast, right? And when you want to make a small change somewhere that seems relatively easy, you actually have to go unwrap a lot of code to get to it, and then you got to test it against a lot of code. And so the principle of the future is it's modularized, it's broken into smaller pieces that communicate via services and APIs. So that is absolutely the name of the game to get the velocity. So you've got huge market share, 60, 70%, something like that. Uh, but I'll be, I'll be blunt and point out that quite a few of you know, your own clients and, and non-clients uh, use the word uh, hate when it comes to applied. Given what you're doing, do you, f do you feel confident that you're going to change that, uh, that vibe, that narrative? You know, it bugs the, you know what, out of me, but it also, yeah. it fuels me. Um, I hate waking up every morning. Rackspace was one of the most beloved companies in the world. We were one of the inventors of using the net promoter system in a technology company. I chased 
Fred Reicheld, who was the inventor of the net promoter system and me and the, the CEO at the time, we got him on the board. So he was on our board to teach us how to systematize creation of what we call customer promoters, right? And, and so that's in my DNA, it's in my blood. I hate it that I work at a company. Now I love the company I'm working at, lots of good people, but I actually genuinely hate the fact that Applied is seen as this sort of sinister monopolist who is extracting value and holding the industry back. But that also gets me out of bed every morning. Um, and I know the way to fix that. It's just not something you can do like that. So my type A fully caffeinated self wishes I could do it a lot faster, but I want to do it with a very high say do ratio, right? We say we're going to do something and this year by God, we're going to get the first APIs in the market. We're going to launch the BDE replacement in Google BigQuery. We're going to show the world that we are going to be open to integrating and making people, you know, much more, have much more choice and flexibility. So I got to go do it by delivering Tom. I can do it through these venues and tell the story, but I got to deliver it. And I think only then do we start to get people to be believers that Applied it has a different personality in the market these days. How do you balance the two sides of that teeter-totter of uh, there's Steve that doesn't want to pay anymore and he has his version of PTSD. And on the other side, you have a, a wonderful investor in Google and technology and what it's lending. But I presume they're not doing it uh, in any sort of free donation of a way. They probably want to see a return out of their horse they bet on. You know, price is an equation that is that is equated to the value you perceive from it, right? So yep. I would love for Steve to call me and say, you know what, I'm so freaking happy I just bought this new applied product. It's really changed the way we're doing things in important ways. Uh, but I think you have to produce things that people perceive as valuable. Um, and that's the only way to do it. We're certainly not in a philanthropy game. We have, to, we have to put money in the ground that earns a return. I have shareholders just like you guys do. But I think you have to, you know, I, I am proud of a couple of the products that we worked really hard to get in the market this year. And a lot of the feedback we're getting on things like marketing automation and Epic for Salesforce is, these are products I probably wouldn't have expected applied to build the way they build them or as quickly as they built them. And the user experience is simple. It doesn't take me six months to get someone to productivity on that. But we just need to do that at scale, Adam. Applied is the most expensive, but right now it's the piece of shit that stinks the least. <laughs> we need not to do that anymore. All of our BMSs in Canada anyway are, are not giving brokers what we need to really yeah. to, to gel and get cadence and start to take market share and do what we want to do. Everybody kind of sucks. And I know the the insurers have a lot to do with that as well, but and like everything that you're talking about has me pretty juiced up here and I appreciate it, <laughs> Taylor, but I really need to know that this isn't like a 10 year stretch, man. Yeah. <laughs> we got to prove it to you guys. Message received loud and clear. Um, you know, the reason I agreed to do this with you guys, not because I thought you'd be easy on me. I knew you'd be hard on me, but I look like I said, I don't have to have the sort of defensive posture of why Applied was the way it was or what it did or how it did it. I salute yep. and respect the people who built the world's largest BMS, took it to market, became the market leader and all the cool things they did. But you know what? I get to sit with our folks and say, hey, it's not good enough anymore. Um, if you want to be a world-class software company, you got to do things differently. And by the way, you're not competing against Vertifor or Keel or any of these guys. You're not. You're competing against world-class software companies. That's it. So Let's, let's, let's wrap this up here, guys. So uh, as promised, Taylor, you get the last word. So uh, you can take us to close here, give you as long as you want, say anything you want, go for it. I just want to thank you guys for having me. You know, this is great, right? This is a real no bullshit venue. 
you can talk about real stuff. I want to thank Steve for all the easy questions that he threw my way. I appreciate softballs <laughs> right across the plate. Um, but in all honesty, look, this is wonderful. And, um, and I, I am a student in this industry. So being able to hear from you guys, hear your questions, hear frankly what you don't like um, are, are, is super important to me. So thank you. Um, you have my commitment that over time, and again, I apologize, I can't do it overnight, but over time, you're going to see applied, have a different personality, different behavior in the market, deliver value, et cetera. And along the way, the only thing we can ask of you all is keep being hard on us because, you know, when you're hard on us, it, it gets you out of bed in the morning and it makes you realize there's a sense of urgency to your mission. So someday I will hopefully have some beers with you guys and you're going to say, wow, over the past couple of years, look what you guys have been able to do with us. But until then, that's my mission. So thanks for having me. That's awesome. Thank you, Taylor. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Wow. That uh, was, that was just, wow. That, that when, first off, Taylor's, Taylor's a pretty cool guy. He's got an interesting background. He's obviously well-versed in how technology of the 21st century can uh, be developed in a you know, more user-friendly, sophisticated um, way. So that, 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 shone, that shone through from my perspective. And, and the way he thinks is so different to the perceived culture of applied is- It's completely uh, foreign to applied. It's, it's refreshing, yeah. it's refreshing. Yeah. I, you know, you know the stick in this, folks. Been... So it's it's it, it, it's it's a bullseye of exactly where I think we need to go, and it's wonderful. There's no doubt why he got the job or why Google invested, and it's it's awesome. Now it's like, well, shit. What do I do? Just wait. Like it sort of hampers yeah. the dev of other solutions too. <laughs> well, and that's likely part of his plan too, is to you know. Give you, give you a little bit of hope, not overpromise, because he's not, he's not overpromising, but give you a little bit of hope and basically say, you know what? We are the, we're the dominant market player. We can be super supportive. You know, just give us a bit more time. And I, I, think, I think he did that extraordinarily well. Yeah, I like yeah. Uh, yeah he was honest. Like, your head, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was honest. Like, we had a real honest conversation. No holds barred. And uh, it was good. Like, he was, he, you know, the vision's good. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's the, the conversation we've wanted with Applied for a while. But as he said, the proof's in the pudding. Well, you know, a year from now or two years from now, look back on the podcast. Did they deliver? Did they continue to do it? That'll be the real test, right? But, I think he's legitimately that good, right? Like yeah. he's, he's, that's, that's an impressive person. Well, well, having a new person that's outside the industry is great because there's no legacy, no ad trash. And he understands technology well, and he's bringing, he's bringing new people into it. From he's, previous success, right? Yeah, there's, there's a millions of other people from outside the industry you could have hired to do a shit job, but, Man, this guy looks well posed to do a really good one. Has a pretty cool track record. What I want to know is those timelines because I can't. We can't wait forever. But I mean, if anybody's poised to do this, he's seriously smart, dude. You you can tell that. And he was a marine, so the the military in him. Hopefully, that will put the pressure on. You know, getting things done. Yeah. It's good. It's what we've been waiting for. It's going to push everybody to a better level and that's going to make us have a better chance of survival and be in a lot better place in a year or two years from now. So it's really cool. One, one question, Adam, that I yeah. have for Jeff is how hard did Una have to slap you to break your glasses like that? Jeff? <laughs> can't do anything. They had my, uh, yeah. they dropped okay. and I can't because of COVID, I can't get it. I can't, they're my bifocals. 
and my progressives. So I have to wear them. So <laughs> that's, that's the story that Una's making him say. That's right. Yeah, yeah, Cause yeah, she yeah. slapped him really hard. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast Certified.